1: Welcome to noon edition on WFIU I'm Bob Salzberg from the WFIU WTIU newsroom I'm hosting the show today with Sarah Whitmire my co-host she's the WFIU WTIU news bureau chief we've been recording the show remotely since March to avoid the risk of spreading the infection from COVID-19 and today we're going to be talking about the upcoming presidential and local elections and voting in the elections we have four guests today. Marjorie Hershey is a professor emeritus at the Indiana University Department of Public uh, Political Science. Mark Fraley is an Indiana University Political and Civic Engagement Director. Karen Wheeler is Monroe County Election Supervisor. And Lawrence Norton is the, from the Brennan Center for Justice. He is the director. He'll be here with us for the first half of the program. If you want to join us on the program, you can follow us on Twitter and contact us there. We're at Noon Edition. We also can be contacted at news at org. So thank you all for joining us uh, by Zoom today. We appreciate it. And I want to start with um, our good friend, Marjorie Hershey. She's been on the show many times before. And I'd like to ask uh, Dr. Hershey to frame some of the issues that we we have that are really unique this year with COVID-19 when it comes to the idea of voting and how we're going to get people to the polls?
2: Well, the biggest question, of course, is that um, given the pandemic and given the need we have to keep people safe from transmitting the pandemic, voting by mail is the obvious choice. the decisions as to whether or not you can vote by mail, what you have to do in order to vote by mail, are all made by the various states. This is not normally a federal process. It's a state-by-state process. And there are a number of states, including Indiana, that do not have the option of universal voting by mail. Now, uh, President Trump has been making some incorrect assumptions about how it is that voting by mail works, I think it's really ironic because they could cost him the election. So let me talk briefly about that. And I'm sure Larry will have something important to say about that as well. First of all, president Trump has suggested that voting by mail is characterized by fraud to a great extent. Um, This is not the first time we've had voting by mail in the United States. We've been doing this for a very long time. We've had enormous numbers of studies about voting by mail. And as I'm sure Larry can tell you, the studies show that there is very little evidence of fraud in by mail voting. And there are good reasons why that we can go into later. But in addition, the president seems to be assuming that if we expand vote by mail, Democrats will benefit. And as a result, he has gone so far as to essentially reduce the functioning of the post office in order to make sure that that can't happen. Again, we've had so many studies of this, and there is no evidence in those studies that at least voting by mail to this point has had any partisan advantage. And the irony of this is that heard from a variety of republican state chairs that they're pulling out their hair about president trump's statements about this because as they send out applications for voting by mail to their republican constituents they're getting back a lot of people saying vote by mail the president said that's fraudulent i won't do that And as a result, if, God forbid, these people happen to get sick on Election Day, that's going to cost some Republican votes. Um, So that's why we've seen some recent tweets by the president saying, well, voting by mail isn't isn't a problem if you're voting by mail in a state that's led by Republicans, but it is if you're in a state that's led by Democrats. And the other thing that President Trump is getting wrong about this is that um, If we assume that two to three times more voters will be voting by mail this time than usual, we get close to a scenario where uh, the proportion of people who are voting by mail approaches the proportion that has voted in person in earlier elections. We know that turnout is most affected by people's level of education, that the most educated people are the most likely to vote. Now, Fifty years ago, those people trended Republican. They tended to be business leaders and land developers and various other folks. So at that time, if you reduced voter turnout, you would probably reduce it at the lower end of the education scale, people who were more likely to be Democrats. Now that's no longer true. We find that the people with the highest levels of education are disproportionately Democratic And that people with less than a college degree are becoming disproportionately Republican. So I'm afraid for the president that uh, his efforts to help himself through uh, opposing vote by mail are going in exactly the opposite direction.
1: All right. Thank you for that analysis. Larry Norton, the director of election reform program, the election reform program. Uh, for the Brennan Center. Can you talk about the work that you're doing and talk about how how uh, COVID-19 and what we're going through now and what Margie said has all mm-hmm. affected that? Yeah.
3: Um, I, I, a couple of things to say. First of all, Margie is right. Of course, we've seen it in the primaries. There's been um, a dramatic increase in the use of vote by mail. And um, that that really hasn't, related to big changes in the laws that has been the voters choice in most states, um, Indiana, notwithstanding voters have the option, um, and had the option prior to this year, um, to vote by, to, to vote by mail or to vote absentee, um, for, for any reason, they didn't need to have an excuse. Uh, and, um, not surprisingly, um, as a result of COVID, Um, many, many people have chosen that option. Um, In in a lot of states, we saw um, 10, 20, 30 times the numbers of people as in previous elections uh, choosing to vote by mail. So um, that has put a tremendous strain on the election system in the United States. Election officials are facing um, an election that they didn't expect at the beginning of the year. Um, There's an entire infrastructure that needs to be built um to process mail ballot applications uh, and to count them um, that some states in the west have have long had because they've had higher uh, percentages of people voting by mail. But election officials have basically had to build the plane while flying and and um, and make changes to adjust. Um, they're short on resources um, to to do that, I have to say. Um, but they' you know election officials <laughs> are extremely resourceful, so they are they they have been managing so far. Um, with some hiccups that we've seen in the primaries, for sure. At the same time, um, not everybody is going to vote by mail, and I think one of the lessons from the primaries is that we can't rely on uh, everybody to um, be um, receiving or sending back mail ballots, in part because um, because of these infrastructure challenges, a lot of people weren't getting their mail ballots in time, and so they had to show up at, the polling, at, at polling places as a fail-safe. Um, and I think in the in-person voting, there are a lot of huge changes that have to be made as well. Um, so of course, um, we need um, uh, PPE for poll workers. We need to to sanitize polling places. We need to adjust what polling places look like um, to ensure social distancing. We need to sometimes find new polling places because nursing homes and other places don't want to be polling places uh, this year for understandable reasons. Um, And, um, you know, we need more early voting, frankly, um, so that we can ensure that um, for for the millions and millions of people that are going to show up to vote in person, um, that um, that we're reducing density in the polling places uh, where we can. So this is a massive uh, challenge on a scale that I don't know that we have seen. Um, In recent elections, it's one reason why I think it's so important. Unfortunately, Congress has gone on recess, um, but that Congress provide um, election officials with more resources that the changes that need to be made are, are, are tremendous uh, over the next couple of months.
1: I'm going to jump over to Karen Wheeler, and then, then we'll go to Mark Fraley, but, but Karen Wheeler is an election, election official, local election official. So as Monroe County election supervisor, Karen, how, uh, you know, what, what do you have to say to react to what Larry said? Are things as difficult for you as uh, he suggested?
4: It has been quite a year for election, to say the very least. Uh, the primary threw us for a total loop. Um, we did do all the PPE and we did take different steps for disinfecting and social distancing and just everything that as everyone's doing anyway. But um, it's been extremely difficult. It's been the hardest election we've ever had to run and to get a little perspective, In 2018, in the midterm, I had a little under 1,300 mail ballot applications. In the primary of 2020, I had 23,000 mailed applications for ballots. That is a tremendous increase. And for this general election, we really don't know what's going to happen. It could be just as large. It could be larger. There is a big difference though from the primary to the general. In the primary, we had a no excuse absentee or no excuse mailed ballot request. so that means anybody could have it. And that's the first time in in Monroe County that we've been able to have anybody request a mailed ballot with no reason. Um, otherwise, we have twelve reasons on the application and you need to fit in one of those. And many people do. And um, but we do not have that for the general. The state has said it that we're back to normal in that area. And so you have to have a reason to get a mail ballot sent to you.
1: And what what did that uh, what did that increase in mail ballots mean for you in terms of just uh, processing the election vote?
4: It was tremendously difficult uh, because really, when we send out a ballot, it just sounds so easy. Hey, I want a ballot. Sure, I'll send it to you. Well, actually, there's 17 steps for us to get that ballot out the door to you. It's a pretty complex system, and it's one that has all the things in place to be safe in, in and accurate and... Everything's with a Democrat and a Republican, and we have a lot of those things, and we continually do and will do them. So when we had to do that 23,000, and of course, the county was pretty much furloughed, we were able to call in a few furloughed employees to help us. The Our saving grace was that Community Corrections, which is next door to us, same building, they were all furloughed, and we took over all of their space. We did not have early voting for the first three weeks, so we had all of that space, and to keep everything, you know, the social distancing was quite a challenge, but we did it, and we worked, um, you remember we had a a holiday in there? We had Memorial Day.
1: Oh, yeah.
4: (laughs) Yeah, so we worked, of course, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, because our deadline was Tuesday, and we actually yeah we yeah. we made it <laughs> so no one got that weekend off when you worked here didn't get, yeah we just worked crazy
1: yeah well we'll find out what the what you're gonna have now i mean it doesn't look like it's gonna be um no excuse uh or that all um that there's no excuse needed but we'll we'll see sarah i think sarah Whitmire has a question
5: so we got a follow-up that i Uh, I'm pretty sure, is aimed towards Marjorie. And uh, the question is, what about working-class Democrats? How likely are they to vote?
2: Well, uh, there is an interesting impact of education versus income. And so how we define working-class can vary. But generally, working-class people have been less educated, less likely to show up at the polls than more educated people are. And now, as we know, President Trump has made real inroads in, the, in his support among working-class people, among people with less than a college education, people with uh, low to moderate incomes, but incomes are not necessarily directly correlated with education, so uh, if we drop off the lowest end of the educational ladder, we're not necessarily likely to drop off Democrats anymore. We're um, probably more likely to drop off Republicans.
1: I want to bring Mark Fraley in. Now Mark's got two different perspectives. Uh, he's Indiana University political and civic engagement director, and he is the former chair of the uh, Monroe County Democratic Party. So uh, from your um current position your new position what does all this mean in terms of getting people engaged in in the political races and in the in the election and making sure we get people to the polls
6: yeah, that's an uh, excellent question. And I think that what it really means is a number of different things. So first of all, you know, from the perspective here, my role as the Associate Director of the Political and Civic Engagement Program, I can really see that a lot of students are eager for civic engagement, right? And we have people who are motivated around issues of racial justice, around issues of climate change, all over the spectrum. And we have students uh, who are you know, Republican, Democrat, moderate, all over the place. And what they really want is to be able to have their voice and to be able to represent that on Election Day. And so I think what that means for us is that we're going to be spending most of our time, a lot of time over the next six weeks, ensuring that students are registered to vote, that they know what their rights are, that they know what their obligations are, and that they know what the rules are for being able to vote. And we'll encourage a lot of early voting, especially since we're looking at an option which uh, mail-in ballots are not going to be an option for most people, we really want to emphasize that people have the ability to vote, that they get in there early, and uh, make sure that their voice is heard and their vote is cast.
1: What happened in the primary with students? Uh, Now, they weren't here, they weren't on campus here, but do you know, do you have any data about um, student age people and how um, how their vote was, like how how likely it was that they were going to the, the polls?
6: Um, so I don't have the specific numbers in front of me, but I know that the turnout among students in this primary was actually significantly lower than it was in 2016. However, we also have to be, we also have to take into account a lot of other factors. Yes, the students were gone um, this time uh, as in, they were in town four years ago, but also there was a high profile... A presidential race that was very much in play by the time that the that um, the race came to Indiana and so that really did have a huge impact in how many people turned out so it's really difficult to be able to judge election from election to election uh, and and name one factor that might really impact the likelihood of students voting.
1: I want to go back to uh, Larry Norton now. We have Larry for another five minutes or so. Your organization, the Brennan Center, does a lot of things, um, among them ensuring that U.S. election infrastructure is secure and accessible to every voter and protecting elections from foreign interference. So how confident can we be that when we go to the polls, whether we send in a mail in a ballot or we go to a polling place, that our uh, are the election infrastructure is secure, and that it's we're free from foreign interference.
3: Yeah. I, so, I mean, this is, <laughs> but g- going into the year, uh, I think a lot of people thought that would be the primary issue um, that we would be focused on in the elections. Uh, there's a lot of attention to attacks on the election infrastructure, uh, a lot of training of election officials around election security issues. Um, and um, you know, one, one concern I have is, of course, um, there's only so much any election official or election workers can do in a day. <laughs> so uh, there there uh, there's been a little bit less attention to the issue of election security uh, because basically we've had to uh, build an entire new election infrastructure for, for dealing with um, COVID. I, I would say um, you know the the main the main Solution to dealing with potential uh, uh, cyber attacks against our election infrastructure in the next couple of months is just making sure that we have resiliency, making sure that um, if whether it's by cyber attack or programming error or or poll workers who aren't familiar with equipment, that in the polling places, for instance, we have um, backup poll books because um, a lot of in a lot of places we use electronic poll books which can go down. Um, Uh, that we have if we're we're using um, voting machines to record our votes on, that we have backup paper um, that voters can fill out, that we have enough provisional ballots in the polling places. My focus is very much on um, making sure uh, that we have those um, solutions in the polling places to act as a fail safe for any problems that we have with equipment. We also have um, an additional challenge that many more people are, using online services, of course, during COVID. So many more people are using online voter registration, for instance, or online tools to request their ballots. Um, and we've got to make sure that those have backup too, that if there's a, a denial of service attack um, or some other kind of attack against the systems, that we have backup systems that we can turn to um, to ensure that nobody is going to be deprived of their their right to vote. I do think you know we're not just seeing attacks against our elections Externally, um, there's been a lot in the in the media recently about the post office um, impact on changes and rules in the post office about the ability to get people um, their ballots in time, their their absentee ballot requests, their registration forms. I think the the main thing that I take away from all of that is it's going to be really important um, to explain to voters the actions that they can take. Um, to ensure that um, they are able to vote and their votes get counted. And to me, the most important thing um, that we can com- be communicating to voters, frankly, is that they should be they should be requesting their ballots early if they're going to vote by mail, um, that they should be voting early if they're going to be voting in person. The earlier we do all of these things, um, the less likely whatever the challenges are, um, whether it's um, cyber attacks, problems with um, mail voting, whatever it is, um, that, um, we're going to be able to count their votes. So I'm I'm really encouraging people to act early, to know the rules, to understand them, um, and and to do things as early as possible.
2: Larry, can I jump in here while we still have you and ask just in a few minutes, since the Brennan Center is such a wonderful facility to have about research on voting, if you could say just a bit about your work on voter fraud and the extent of voter fraud and the extent to which people are concerned about it
3: yeah that's a that's a great question and, and it, it is exceptionally rare um, uh, you 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 said this Marjorie um, in fact you know I mean I especially because there's been so much focus on mail voting I, I, I I'll, I'll talk to that point um, it, it we've been doing mail voting since the Civil War we've learned a lot about how to make it secure um, and we've you know whether it's the Heritage Foundation, very conservative organization, or the Washington Post that have done studies. When you look at the numbers of incidents of um, uh, a- alleged um, fraud, uh, it, it is rarer for for somebody to commit fraud than to get struck by lightning. It is exceptionally rare, and where it happens, especially um, when we're talking about mail voting. Um, it is almost always going to get caught. And I want want to provide three reasons for that, Um, although there are several, because there are a lot of layers of security around mail voting. Um, But one is that in in every state, you have to return your mail um, ballot in a secrecy envelope. Um, That secrecy envelope requires information that only the voter should have, including a signature. Um, in, in, In most places, more and more, there are barcodes connected to... Those mail ballots, so people and election officials can see those ballots along the way when they go out, when they get to the voter, when they come back, where they are in the process, just like you would with any um, online package that you order, so it can really be tracked along the way. And of course, mail ballots are um, paper ballots, Uh, and so we can audit afterwards those paper ballots and make sure that the machines um that are telling us what the totals are are accurate we can look at the actual paper record and compare it so there's a lot of security um around mail voting that makes it extremely difficult um to commit a successful fraud and in fact um when we look at the numbers what we see is that this is exceptionally rare for it to happen
5: just a quick follow-up to that larry do you know in the past primary do we have any data about any sort of fraud or or
3: cases where something went wrong here in
5: Indiana? I'm not aware of any in fact.
3: Um, as I said, it's, ext- it's extremely rare. Um, so uh, it, it, it's not unusual not to, to, to have zero in, a, in, in a, an election. Um, and I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's, if that's what we're talking about in Indiana in this last election.
1: All right. I want to thank Larry Norton for being here with us today. Thanks for joining us for the first half of our program. Uh, Mr. Norden is the uh, um, director of election reform program with the Brennan Center. So thank you very much. We're going to continue our program with Marjorie Hershey, professor emeritus at Indiana University's Department of Political Science, Mark Fraley, Indiana University Political and Civic Engagement Associate Director, and Karen Wheeler, Monroe County Election Supervisor. You can send us your questions to news at org and you can also tweet us at Noon Edition.
5: This question is for Karen and this is from Karen Levy on Twitter. Her question is, will Monroe County have a drop-off for ballots to avoid mail issues? And the second part of her question is, can a person request ballots online or only by mail?
4: Okay, another good question. You can go to indianavoters.com and request an application for your ballot to be sent to you, or you can call our office. Uh, You can also drop us a note. Most people don't drop, don't request. Well, yeah, usually they just call us or you go to indianavoters.com. And about the drop-off, we had used a drop slot in the, the primary There were a few things that we could do in the primary that the state allowed us to do that have now been back to what we call normal election procedures. And that is now considering there will not be an ability to drop them off in a box or a slot. You can bring them to election central anytime during early voting time. And the reason is that You can only bring in your own ballot or somebody that's in your household or if you have power of attorney. You cannot bring in your neighbor's ballot. It can be mailed, but you cannot bring that in. And um, even if you bring in your spouse's ballot, you will have to uh, fill out a form. So it's easier if they just bring it in or mail it. But if you bring in your spouse's or your child, or whoever lives with you, their ballot, you'll have to fill out a form saying that you brought it in. It's just another la- layer of security. So we do not have and will not have any drop boxes around Mineral County. Okay. But I would like to also say, too, about the mail. There's two different ways of requesting or getting a, a an, it's called an ABS mail request form. Well, I mean, let me just back that up. There's two different things about mail. One is when you request it, and that's what Indiana has always done. Monroe County has always done that, and I don't think anyone's against that. The things that they're against is if you mail to everybody that is on the registration, everybody that has registered and is on the current books, which is 97,000 voters right now, they would all get a ballot, whether they asked for it or not. And that would cause a lot of confusion. And I would say a lot of concern because a lot would go to IU and those students could have left six years ago, but they're still registered because they didn't cancel us out, cancel, they don't let us know. And um, then we would have all these ballots that would be sitting in mailboxes or in dormitories or apartments because, you know, for whatever reason that is going to be overwhelming. But the mailed ballots by request are great. We greatly encourage that. And I agree with Larry, the sooner the better. Ask for them now. When you get your ballot, send it back. You won't get your ballot until September 19th or so if you request now. But um, earlier is better.
1: So if you request now, is that list of 12 things on the request and you have to mark you know which one qualifies okay. you to get a ballot so you can vote by vote by mail
4: yes no. yes and the um excuses are like if you're 65 or older if you're handicapped or if you're have a reasonable expectation of being out of the county for that day or you work and you can't get to the poll in that 12 hours or you are a caregiver there's a number of things And if you qualify for that, you just mark it. And people just need to know, too, that you're signing a legal affidavit. So we will not tell you what to mark because we can't legally do that. If something fits for you, mark it down and send it in and we'll send you the ballot.
1: Okay. I want to ask Mark Fraley um, to put on your other hat now, your historic hat of being involved in local politics. You don't have to be partisan about it, but if you were... If you were a party chair right now trying to get members of your party to go out and vote, what would what would you be telling them?
6: Well, I mean, I think right now I would be able to emphasize whether I was a chair for any party that, you know, the most important thing that we can actually do is make sure that we get everybody out to vote, that we can cast their voice and that you cast your vote from the White House to the courthouse, you know, and so that we can't ignore local elections that are on the ballot. We've got several uh, excellent candidates for uh, uh, a judge on both sides of the aisle as well as county council, county commissioner, and we need to be able to take a look at elections in their entirety and see the ways in which Uh, elections intersect with our daily lives, and so I would, uh, you know, and so both in my, in my current role as a nonpartisan associate director of the political and civic engagement program, I would encourage people to be able to look all the way up and down the ballot when casting their votes, and that's also, you know, the same thing that I would do whether I was the chair of any party.
1: And Margie, uh, Margie Hershey, what, what is the, uh, what's the difference in a presidential election year Typically, and what do you think is going to be the difference in terms of turnout in in this presidential election year, assuming if everything was equal, you know, if if the opportunities were the same as they always were?
2: Normally, comparing turnout in different types of elections, presidential elections have the highest turnout. Um, Nationally, that turnout rate in the past 20 years or so has been between about 55 and 60 percent. That means it's not very high and compared to most other industrial democracies, we're really very down, farther down on the list than we should be. Our turnout is really remarkably low. In off-year congressional elections, which we had in 2018, it's down further. Then turnout is typically between about 36 and 40 percent of those who are eligible to vote. Now, remember in 2018, we had a very different situation. We had a 50% turnout. And although that is only one in two people who are eligible to vote, it was a dickens of an increase over previous midterm elections. And I think that's probably a good indication of what's going to happen in 2020. Um, I don't think Mark is going to have to worry too much about convincing people that it's important to vote. I think the interest in this election is unusually high. And um, as a result, an awful lot of people are going to take advantage of that opportunity, as they should. You know, when people start to worry about voting by mail, I mean, goodness, the federal government has had very little difficulty tracking us down by mail with respect to our income tax forms and uh, lots and lots of other things. There's no reason why we can't do this by mail. The problem is First of all, the impact on election administration, as Karen mentioned, this is really a challenge. And second, the possibility that because of all these mail ballots having to be counted by hand in most cases, we won't know on election night who it is who won the presidency and other offices. The concern there is that There are some, including the president, who have already made a big point about the fact that if we don't hear the results on election night, that what happens after that will constitute fraud, that there will be lots of people churning up non-existent votes. Um, It just takes a while to count ballots, and uh, it certainly doesn't say in the Constitution that we need to have election results on election night. They would have been totally astounded if that had been the case when the Constitution was written, because it took weeks after that to to count the votes. So another main concern I have is not so much whether there will be high turnout, but whether or not people in an interested way will try to raise questions about the legitimacy of the voting process that, uh, that are probably not um, deservedly raised.
1: Well, you know, when you think back about, you know, there, there's been, you know, we have a tendency to think about, you know, the last election or the last three elections or the last four elections, but has there been, have there been other times in our history where there was this much sort of concern or question or, doubt about what could happen on election day?
2: Well, I think that there has not been before this as organized an attempt to raise questions about the legitimacy of the vote as there had been now. I mean, you know, voting took place uh, in a presidential election during the Civil War. That's how Abraham Lincoln was reelected. We've been at this for quite some time. But this year, there's been a much more concentrated effort to say, if we don't have the results on election night, and if there is a lot of voting by mail, there is reason to suspect that the election is rigged. And uh, we didn't really hear that so much in 2008 or 2012. We heard it a little bit, actually, from the winner in 2016, but not as much as we have in recent months now.
1: Okay. And Karen, from, you know, your standpoint as a local election supervisor, I mean, have you been, have you heard these kinds of things from local voters or are you hearing on the, you know, the, on the front lines of voting, any concerns about whether people's votes are going to be legitimate and going to be counted properly?
4: I would like to think that the citizens of Monroe County have confidence in how this how we've handled elections in the past. I think everyone is aware of so much. And so I'm sure there's concerns. We're definitely getting more requests than we normally do at this point. We probably have about 2000 requests for mailed ballots to be sent out. And I mentioned earlier in 2018, in that general election, which was really pretty intense also, Uh, we had 1300. So we have surpassed that amount and we're pretty far out from the election in regards to mail ballots. Um, Also in 2018, we had some precincts that actually voted 80%. So it was a really big high turnout. The average could have been 50%. I don't really remember that, but it was a lot. But people are concerned. But I'd like to say too, that um, things that Larry had mentioned, you know, you want to make sure on polling day, polling sites on election day that we have the paper and that the when we have people voting on machines that we have an ability to give them uh, their ballot. Well, Monroe County really doesn't have to worry about that so much because we're basically a paper ballot county. Every person pretty much all gets a paper ballot with the exception of someone who. Wants an electronic ballot, or has requested it because of an ADA situation. So we are paper ballot. We have an easier ability to do a recount, and we do also have another backup. That we print all the poll books. You like you remember years ago, we'd go to the poll site and they'd take these big books and. They look for your name. It's all alphabetical. Equation. Oh yeah, I remember
1: that. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, we print those. We have we had them printed for the primary. We're going to print them again for the general, just in case something happens that you know astronomical that we cannot get to our e poll books. We will have that backup, and I think that should uh, encourage the voters of Monroe County also with limited
5: vote by mail can you just talk about really what is your capacity to you know socially distance for a large number of people to come to come vote in person how can folks who are really worried about the virus know that it's going to be safe for them to come vote
4: if somebody called me and said is it safe to come and vote early i would say or they say they don't want to because of their concern I would probably ask them, do you go to Kroger? And probably their answer is yes. We are so much higher on a higher level of everything for disinfecting and everything than any place that most people do go now. For instance, Kroger or Sam's or Menards. When you walk in, you will get a disinfected pen and you will keep that pen all the way through the process. We will have everyone is right out. We have our tables. So every there's just a voter or a worker on each table and they're eight foot tables or so. And we did away with our Franklin booze. You remember? maybe remember those. They were pretty. They're red, white, and blue. Four people can vote in one of them. They're kind of a circle with a um, curtain around them. Well, they're too hard to disinfect. So we just have Tables and they're the height that you can just walk up to. And if you need a assistance because you're in a wheelchair, we have lower tables. They are disinfected after each voter, and they will, voters will be restricted on how many can come into the building. And we have somebody at the door so that we just have enough people that each station has a person there. And when they move, then we add another person. It went really much better than I thought in the primary and now we've had experience so I think we'll do just as good if not a better job of it.
2: Karen let me suggest as well that one thing that the people who are listening can think about is that of course it's our responsibility as well as the election officials to make sure that elections go smoothly One of the challenges that election administrators have is that the folks who work at the polls are often people who are older and who therefore might have more reason to worry about working on Election Day because of the pandemic. So anybody here who uh, is not so much at risk for COVID-19 or who has already had it and recovered, might want to consider stepping up and volunteering to work at the polls in place of those people who otherwise feel that it's too much of a risk for them to do that.
4: Thank you, that is a great input there. And I forgot to mention that all the workers will be wearing masks or face shields. And we do have hand sanitizer when you walk in the door, we have hand sanitizer when you walk out the door. And we have workers that can wear gloves. It's their option. There's a lot of controversy on gloves, too. Are they really better or are they not? Is it better just to keep your hands sanitized after each person? And that's it's those are things that we're still. They're both available. So we have gloves and we have lots of hand sanitizer.
1: Sarah, do you have another question? I'm sorry, no. Okay. All right. So then I'll move on and ask uh, Mark Fraley again about about, you know, what you see with uh, civic engagement and of younger people and, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement and with it seems like there's there's a lot of activism today. I mean, what what do you anticipate in terms of voter turnout for people who would be, uh, you know, maybe in that 18 to 22 year old age group?
6: Well, actually, I anticipate that voter turnout will actually be high uh, compared to previous elections, and this is one of those things that we continue to be inspired by is the degree to which um, students really see uh, expressing themselves as part of their commitment in daily life. And I think that that's something that's really important. What we emphasize is that voting is an important step and it's only a first step, right? And so uh, um, voting is, is a crucial part of a democracy. So it, is being engaged. So is being informed. So is meeting with your city council members and, and trying to be able to uh, really uh, develop citizenship as a regular practice in people's affairs. And so I've actually been quite encouraged with the extent that people on all sides of the aisle have really been able to take up the gavel of of civic engagement and run forward with it. So I'm really optimistic that we're going to see a lot of enthusiasm among the students in this year's election and um, I am really looking forward to seeing how that turns out. All
1: right if you have questions or comments for us we have about 10 minutes to go is all you can send your questions or comments to news at org. you can also uh, contact us through twitter at noon edition I want to ask uh, Marjorie Hershey about the vice presidential selection of Kamala Harris by Joe Biden. What do you think that brings to the Democratic ticket?
2: I think it was a very safe choice by Vice President Biden. Um, I think that Kamala Harris was the person whom many of us would have predicted he would have chosen. She has a lot of advantages for him. One is that um, some commentators, to the contrary, uh, she identifies as African-American. The fact that she is a person of color pays respect by the Democratic Party to the important role that um, women of color have played in Democratic politics over time. She's had experience as a prosecutor, which although some people have different views about how she conducted her time as prosecutor, means that she may appeal to people who are not quite so left-wing. Um, the Democratic Party is, uh, at least the party in the electorate, the party among voters is sort of about half liberal and half moderate. And that moderate end um, has made a real difference in Democratic politics in recent years. And uh, that's a group to whom she will definitely appeal. She's also a, a prosecutor in the sense that she's just a very effective debater, a very effective speaker. Um, that should certainly make a difference. Um, I think that uh, she will be very articulate in the debate against Vice President Pence and that uh, she will speak very well for Vice President Biden.
1: Do you have any sense that President Trump might decide that he wants someone other than Mike Pence to be his vice president?
2: It's always possible, Um The president is not so easy to predict. Um, He has said just in the last couple of days that he's not considering anybody else. And uh, some people suggested, well, that's a clear indication that he is thinking of of, of, uh, appointing somebody else. Um, I think that it would be very difficult for President Trump, given his constituency, to move uh, an evangelical, Christian, conservative um, person who has been extremely loyal to him off of the ticket. But President Trump has not had that much difficulty removing people who have been loyal to him under other circumstances. So I wouldn't put a lot of money on it.
1: And one other quick question for you. We haven't talked about uh, the idea that the um, President floated the idea that maybe we should delay the election until after COVID. Could you talk about the um, sort of the realistic and, uh, you know, not just the political, but the constitutional um, uh, background to him saying something like that?
2: That's a non-starter. It's impossible because of the fact that the Constitution, as amended, says that the president will be inaugurated on January 20th. The Electoral College is required to meet in early December. Um, So that's really not a feasible prospect. But I think what's most interesting about that is that the president floats a lot of things in his tweets and in his comments off the cuff. And the reaction to those comments tells him a lot about whether or not he can push this. And with respect to his postponing the election, the speaking out of a a large number of prominent Republicans saying, no, good try, no cigar, um, was a clear indication to him that this is not an option, just as when he took um, a few military officials with him across the street to a church um, during the Black Lives Matter protest and was later, those officials were criticized for having joined him. And several retired generals um, tweeted out after that, it is inappropriate for the military to take a partisan stance. Um, I think these are indicators of whether or not President Trump would be able to get away with any further bending of the norms. Um, during and after the election.
5: We got a question here for you, Karen, and a comment. So I'll read the, the comment first. Marilyn from Twitter says, anyone who's ever counted absentee ballots knows there's very little room for fraud. There are many checks and balances to verify the voters registered appropriately and that the vote being verified and counted is indeed from that voter, matching the signature and the address. So seems to go along with everything you said, Karen. Yes. um, Then we got a question from Patricia just wondering what can election officials do to ensure we don't run out of ballots like we did in 2018 at some polling places and the other question also do we have backup machines just in case.
4: We do have backup e-poll books at every location and have done that for a long time and the the issue with the lack of ballots you didn't see it in the primary you're not going to see it in the general there has been changes made and i have great confidence that that
2: is not an issue all right <laughs> I think it's that we realize how hard it is to be an elected official in charge of elections, because if the clerk had run off huge numbers of extra ballots in 2016 and they hadn't been used, she probably would have been criticized for wasting taxpayers' money. So it's not easy to be able to hit the right balance. Yeah, All
1: right. less than two minutes to go. So I just want to give each of you, uh, you know, like 30 seconds to send kind of your last Nonpartisan message to people out there listening about uh, voting the safety of voting whether they need to vote and let's just start with Mark.
6: Yeah, I'll say uh, for everyone out there, you know, please vote. It is, um, it is, it's, it's your right. It's also a a very important way to be able to contribute. I also want to be able to give a shout out to Karen and the work, the excellent work that folks in election, election central do. I know how hard they work uh, day and night to be able to make sure that these elections work in a fair and just way. And so, um, you know, my hats off to, to you and your team.
1: Thank you, Karen.
4: Thanks, Mark. Um, We have worked together before, haven't we? So yes, my re- thing is request early, vote early, and if you're willing to come and work on election day, or if you want to help on early voting, give us a call eight one two three two excuse me three four nine twenty six ninety.
1: Okay, give that number again eight one two
4: three four nine twenty
2: six ninety.
1: All right, great, and Margie Hershey, the last thirty seconds.
2: I think those people who might have assumed from what we've been talking about that there will be a huge turnout of young voters might want to temper that by realizing that people over the age of 65 are twice as likely to vote as people under the age of 25. And that for those of my students who are always complaining, why is it that Social Security is always being discussed in campaigns, I think it's important to ask them, well, did you go vote? And if you didn't, uh, then isn't it perfectly obvious why we're discussing Social Security more often than college student loans?
1: Okay. Thank you very much for that insight. I want to thank our three guests, uh, all four of our guests, but our three guests who are still with us, Marjorie Hershey, Professor Emeritus of the IU's Department of uh, Political Science, Mark Fraley, Indiana University Political and Civic Engagement Associate Director, and Karen Wheeler, Monroe County Election Supervisor. Thanks for all you do, and thanks for being here with us. I want to thank uh, my co-host, Sarah Whitmire, and for producers, Benton Boutier and John Bailey and Mark Chilla, engineers Matt Stonecipher and Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening to Noon Edition.
0: Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program is available at WFIU.org.